Hello everyone and welcome back to What Would The Smart Party Do? It's a magical time. The sorcery in the air. <laughs> and through me through the ephemeral airways is that famous prestidigitator, Baz Stevens. How are you doing, Baz? Coming at you through the astral plane. <laughs> <laughs> one dream, one soul, one prize, one goal, one golden glance of what should be. It's kind of magic. That was from memory. That's shocking, isn't it? <laughs> well, after the runaway success of our, our combat chapters that we've done on the podcast, uh, one or two of our listeners have suggested we do other topics of a similar vein. So this time we thought we might talk about magic in games. We should. I thought the runaway success was going to be our chase episode. No? Yeah. Just I me. Did we do a chase episode? <laughs> I don't, I don't feel like I could face it. No. <laughs> We should do. Well, no one else has done decent chase rules, so why should we podcast about them? Let's talk about magic instead, for which there are... Everybody's had a go at this. Every game's had a go at this. Even games that don't have magic in them have got magic in them. So I think this is this should be fertile ground, my friend, for um, mm. that chunky piece of, of almost every role-playing game, even the ones that aren't fantasy. Uh, they can have like stand-ins for magic. It's kind of a, it's a given now, isn't it? It's a, yeah. it's a, always it's been there from the start. Still there now. Can't shake it. People love spells. Yeah, and I think if we need to, we can we can roll in things like psionics and stuff like that. Call it what you will. It doesn't have to be fantasy worlds and uh, classic magic in that sense. It could be any kind of like almost superpowers. Arguably, yeah. they seem to be like really limited magicians with just like sticks. But ultimately, it's having powers that go above the mundane. And how do you represent those in games? Mm. And you know, rather than just hitting someone with a sword or shooting them with a gun, why would you use magic? And how is that modelled? And in fact, are you allowed to use magic in the game world? And things like that seem to come into stuff quite a lot, mm. which make it more interesting. It's it's odd that sometimes you're allowed to like murder people by the dozen. It seems in some settings, but if you light a, a cigarette with your thumb from a flame, that's considered <laughs> heresy, and the witch hunters are called. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, magic comes from a setting, doesn't it, usually? Mm. Um, and and I, I guess we will, because we always do, we will talk about some of our generic systems as well and how they handle magic, because that's another thing you see threaded throughout the hobby is is uh, is games like Hero and GURPS and Savage trying to codify uh, and provide uh, loads of different sort of takes on magic so you can slot them into your campaigns. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got you've got your settings that have that magic kind of built into it. Uh, sometimes the setting is entirely based around magic. Games like Mage, for example, mm -hmm. or Ars Magica, or Magica, or however it's pronounced. <laughs> so we could run the gamut on this, couldn't we? So I think um, before we get into the games, let me let me hit you with sort of an early question, just about your take on magic personally. Uh, if you are settling down to play a fantasy role-playing game uh, with an old group or a new group, do you reach for the wizard character sheet as it's casually cost, tossed into the middle of the table? Or do you push that to one side and go looking for the, the thief or the fighter or, or something else? Are you naturally drawn towards what we would call magic-using type of scenarios? I'm naturally drawn to having some magic so if we put it in D&D uh, terms, because that's probably something we should discuss when we talk about things, mm. as that was one of the first role-playing games, or the first, and arguably how magic's been implemented in that game 
mighty formulator games. But something like a ranger, for example, has can fight and do other things and have skills and does some magic, which I quite like. Mm. I'm always cautious about having a pure magic user because quite often in games, a magic user can be complicated. Or yeah. if it's low level, they might be really weak. Or if it's high level, you might have lots of things about and they're super powerful, but only in certain ways. Or there might be uh, things in the setting, as I've sort of alluded to already, that mean you have to act in certain ways or not act in certain ways. So going for a pure magic user, I tend to be a bit wary of and want to know more about what mm. game is it we're playing, as in setting game are we playing, and what what do they look like in the world before I necessarily reach for them. Uh, and quite often, even more likely to be something like Warhammer, where magic's supposed to be kept secret and it's dangerous and things, because that seems more interesting than perhaps something like D&D, where it's uh, just a safe option, potentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Although, arguably, in the new D&D edition, everyone's a wizard of some sort because everyone gets sort of superpowers that they can use which aren't aren't things normal humans can do sure sure yeah okay that's interesting i don't i i kind of i move away from magic using characters uh usually just by default i'm happy to stretch and challenge myself but i feel that in myself that is a stretch or a challenge to to go for the character um, that's got access to that kind of abilities or, or even just that kind of play style or philosophy within the setting. Um, I don't actively try to avoid it particularly, I don't think, but I would usually go towards what something you would call more martial. That mm. seems to be. And I don't really know why that is because I, I love fantasy gaming more than any other sort of gaming. And I think you could potentially, you could argue a point to say that if it weren't for magic, it wouldn't be fantasy at all. So, you know, that's like fantasy's USP. So mm-hmm. I don't know why I kind of recoil from it a little bit. I, d- I certainly don't hate it. I think um, I don't know why that is, and it'd be interesting to find out. It will be interesting to find out over the course of this discussion. See if that helps me understand what it is that makes me slightly distrust <laughs> the person that grabs the six-page character sheet and uh, starts scanning it, looking for things that start with words fire or lightning. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think it should have to be that complicated. That's one of the things that I probably want to address. Mm. first is I don't quite like the D&D method of having wrote spells so I can't remember what game I was playing but I think I had a wizard there's a a variety of magic using characters let's say a wizard for the sake of argument but you get to pick uh, let's say 5 out of 8 spells or something at first level but uh, most of those spells are the same but with just a different flavour so one's acid and one's fire and one's lightning etc but they all basically do a D8 damage or something like that. And like I don't know why we've got a list of spells that all do the same thing, but with a slightly different subtype on damage. Mm-hmm. That that doesn't feel interesting to me. So starting to play Wizards in D&D initially, when I've tried it a couple of times in the new edition, that's felt quite dull. Uh, and in the earlier editions, where you start off as a first-level Wizard and you've got a sleep or a Magic Missile spell or something like that, and you have one, and that's you for the day, that also feels rubbish. So the kind of magic I do like is when you've got flexibility. So you have a range of things you can do. So in D&D particularly, I like things like the cantrip mage hands, which create mm. some you know, illusory or they're able to manipulate things. So it can physically at things, but just a pair of hands that can open a door or throw a stone somewhere to make a noise or things like that. That sort of magic I think is really cool. And I like it because in a role-playing game with imagination, that gives me opportunity to think of interesting ways of doing things or what I might use it for. Mm. So to reach for the character sheet, what I probably want more in the game is a sort of scope of what magic can do 
and the ability to keep doing it. So you either have to make some roll and you might get backlash, or I think in Hellfrost, I think called siphoning, where you try to use power too much and like the baddies would get you kind of thing. You know, you, know, you have to roll on a table to see what happens to you or something. But some way of making magic reusable and also having many applications of it without needing to have a list of spells which you have to pick perform and do exactly specific things. I think that takes away from magic. One of the attractive things from magic in literature, for example, is it can do all kinds of weird and wonderful things. Mm -hmm. uh, so to reduce it to a shopping list seems to do it a disservice from my point of view. I don't yeah. know how you feel about that. Yeah, well, I, 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 I think I feel the same. I, I, I'm, I am happy finally i think with dnd style magic but it's been a very very long journey to get to my level of happiness well and actually happy might be too much of a stretch i'll go to content i'll go to content <laughs> but possibly satisfied tolerating don't, don't know if i go to happy <laughs> i mean I, I feel like i need to go back a little bit on dnd &D because dnd &D, you're right mate first game okay and, and it, you know we, we still we still find ourselves lapsing into saying stuff like magic user which you know hasn't been current currency for a very long time now but when you think about where D&D came from this is why I do get why people don't like D&D I totally do I know I'm always apologizing for it. I'm the chief apologist for D&D on this show that's for sure <laughs> I get it and I think stuff like the magic system in D&D is definitely I completely sympathize with people who are gnashing their teeth about it because um, uh, Vancean magic or Vancean magic the original sort of D&D style of doing things that that Gygax and the others kind of lifted from Jack Vance novels is bollocks. It's just it's and it's always been bollocks as well. Stop sitting on the fans. Oh, I know, but I, but I love D and D, and I talk about my love for it on every single show. But that stuff is nonsense. Mm. I mean, you know, D and D's never been generic, but for a while it was the only role playing game, and there's still an awful lot of things that kind of cleave to D and D's genericism. It's become its own beast over time. But we get sure. that, we totally get it. But the magic system, nothing outside of Jack Vance books, which which were pretty niche at the time, let alone now, no other magic works like that, where you have to sit down at the start of the day of your breakfast, looking through your scrolls, trying to memorise them, I guess like some kind of weird spelling test where you've got to look down, then you've got to look up and sort of mouth the words to yourself, then look down again to see if you spelled it right. <laughs> it, and, then, and then when you do cast it, like four or five hours later, when you get to the dungeon, that wipes it from your memory till the next day. What a bizarro way of doing things. The Jack Vance books are brilliant and I heartily recommend you go and read them. But the entire D&D magic system is based on what I've just said. That's rubbish. Mm. And that's why I never liked that first level magic user with the sleep spell. I mean, it's a really nice, big, powerful effect. But that's it. That's what you get to do. And you can't remember it anymore for the rest of the day. And, and the fighters standing there swinging their longsword like every couple of seconds, no problem. Sometimes they swing them backwards too. Sometimes they poke people with them. Sometimes they backhand people with them. They can do mm -hmm. whatever they want with their sword. It doesn't just like, you know, disintegrate after the first successful hit. It's so sharpen it again. I mean, I know it's magic, but it, but yeah, old school D&D &D magic is, is bollocks. Remains bollocks. So there's that. They got that out of the way. Things Good. have improved somewhat over the decades and it has taken decades and there's still like loads of little sacred cows in there that won't go away but i am leery of the dnd magic using classes despite it being my favorite game and i think that is an element of it is that i can get behind dragons i can get behind 
um, undersea kingdoms. I can get behind uh, ranges, as you say, and all of that kind of stuff. But the guys with the pointy hats who just can't remember their own spells has always been a sticking point for me. I've never liked it. Um, and I'm not the only one who never liked it because everybody back in the day went to RuneQuest instead if they wanted to get a, a, a slight feeling of verisimilitude. And mm. I'm not looking for realism. You, you can't look for realism in fantasy role-playing games. But D&D Magic left me cold really, really early on. But it's so embedded throughout the entire system, you can't lift it out. People have tried spell point systems and all the rest of it. And you know they've moved to slots and what have you in recent years. But you can't... There's always a cry for low magic D&D or no magic D&D. You can't rip it out because it's, it's just in the world. It's, it's in the grain of the game now. Mm. So, you know, and, and other games of all, I mean, no one else has tried to do that Vantian magic, have they? There's no other game where it goes, right, this is, this is one of your options. We're going to give you a spell system where you forget the spell when you've cast it. What? <laughs> I, don't, I don't even think there's, there's not even a savage supplement for that, is there, or a GURPS add on? Don't think so. Can't think of anything. I don't even think they've got that system in the Jack Vance role-playing games. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's plenty of D twenty clones and things out there that that just follow the template because that's how they feel they have to do it and they do initiative the same way and various other things. But mm. yeah, it's it's a very odd way of doing it. And as you say, for something like D and D, you can't cut it out of the world because then, well, how do dragons and beholders exist? Like you can't say there's no magic because yeah. <laughs> Then half the world doesn't work anymore, so that's that's very very curious. Mm. Um, there's probably another discussion we might have later on about how magic affects a world and how the world would work differently if there's magic yeah. in it rather than none, uh, rather than just being pseudo European medieval or whatever. But yeah, so I think we're sort of in agreement that although it's it's functional, the the sort of the D and D ways of doing magic is unsatisfying in some ways, mm. um, and it certainly feels at the minute. I think why things like fourth edition and others got. Uh, Sort of like their war games complaints uh, from certain segments of the gaming community is because they kind of codified things a bit too much. And there's like, this is your daily power, and this is your at will one, and this is one you can use three times every second Sunday as long as you've had a rest, and blah, 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 blah. And it's just putting things down into like a little card saying you can use this X times. And that takes away from the beauty of having magic in a game and being able to think of cool things to do with it. So to go to the completely other end of the spectrum, if we can, we can always jump about as we do on this podcast. Anyway, oh, we do, but, yeah. Um, Mage, which I've played some recently, thanks to um, Matt from the Albert Wizard Staff fame, who ran some of that for us. I think he's still running the campaign, actually. I had to duck out due to other commitments. But um, that's, that's a system where you have uh, spheres, so things like Prime, which is the, you know, the primal force of the world. Or forces is another one. Things like physical forces, uh, mind, communication, entropy, all these kind of different um, building blocks, if you will. And then when you try and do something in Mage, which is normally set kind of modern day, uh, you then combine a set of these different spheres to try and get the effect you want. So if you want to speak to someone's telepathically, you might have to use the mind sphere and communication if they're over a certain amount of distance and, and things like that. So you mix and match and if you wanted to create a lightning bolt, you might use forces but then have to add some other spheres to get to actually do some damage or work at a distance, etc, etc. So that's arguably, from what I've said already, sounds like something I should be like really into. It turns out that during the game, quite often, you're spending a lot of time trying to work out how to do the thing you want to do. Like You know what you want to do 
but trying to get to um, a satisfactory conclusion about what rank, what sphere needs to be, and how you mix them all together, and then working on quintessence and difficulties, all these pulleys and levers, just make it hard. But I think that's possibly down to it being a White Wolf game, and they seem to overcomplicate everything. But in principle, having a set of ingredients and then being asked to make a meal out of it, like some chefs just been going on Ready Steady Cook or something, going, here's your ingredients, make us something cool. I think that's a nice approach to magic. And there's certain things that you'd be better at doing. So you might be more involved in life magic, or you might be better at um, mind or whatever it might be. But you'll have your spheres of influence to make magic different. But it's up to you as a character to come up with cool things you want to do with those building blocks. Mm-hmm. There is a downside to that that some people have struggled to think of what to do or work out how to do it, or there can be, if you're not careful with your group, arguments about what the best way to do something is, or whether you want to do it this way or that way, and you can mix and match things. And there's multiple different ways to skin a cat if that's what you're trying to do with your spell. But an interesting approach to magic, certainly, saying you can do anything you want. You're a magician, you should be able to manipulate reality. Mm maybe the execution is not quite there but I think that feels more like what I think magic should be like in games arguably yeah my experiences have mage mirror yours a little bit um, I've got a lot of time for mage actually um, I loved mage the ascension is that the first one <laughs> it's mage the something else now uh, I loved it I mean it, it's one of the there's a, a very short list of games that, I've, that I think have changed my perception of gaming entirely um, and mage is one of them and not just because of the magic system. In fact, that's probably you know, one of the least interesting things about it, in my opinion. Mm. But the way it's blended into the setting was was literally eye-opening for me. You know, a real change. But but that that magic system um, has has its ancestry in in Ars Magica, uh, game by Mike Reinhagen and Jonathan Tweet, um, and then that gets all pulled forward into Mage. And, and there's you know there's there's obvious links in there. I think House Tremere in both of them, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but that idea of building your building your effect out of uh, out of ingredients, as you say, it is appealing, isn't it? If you if you are that sort of person who, who you want to be creative, but you want to have some mechanical heft to your creative decisions as well. So you can't just make up any old thing. You can't just say stuff and it happens. You've got to be able to back it up with yeah. your with your knowledge and then with your dice. So you know that's um, it's the equivalent of uh, of the fighter. Uh, describing some kind of tricksy sword and and shield attack designed to disarm its opponent you know you get to do that but with your spells and it could be different every single time but it can get a bit onerous can't it and Hmm. that's because I think around your table you've kind of got to build up a body of case law so you are going to find yourself doing repeated type effects whether that be you know um, unlocking a locked door I mean you've you've really only got to figure it out as a table once but someone's got to make a note of that because then that's almost like the case law, isn't it, for it happening again in the future? Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and, and I'm very aware that Mage and Ars Magica 2 have a list of rote spells. And then that then becomes a list, doesn't it, of like the more obvious effects that you want to do. Like if you want to make a dustbin levitate, you <laughs> probably don't have to go back to absolute, uh, absolute cordon bleu cookery with the spell ingredients because someone's knocked up the recipe already for that, haven't they? Yeah. Which means that actually you tend to like then end up back with a spell list. You do a little bit. <laughs> that you you've custom built, but it's it's a list of spells and a list of things that you've done before. And and then as soon as you're doing that, I, I, I feel and I don't know if you feel the same, mate, that that sort of took some of the mystery out of it. 
And I think what we've both been edging towards with that conversation is should, shouldn't magic feel magical? And by that, you don't quite know how it's going to go. Yes. Or you don't know. You do, you're certain of the result to a degree, but then you don't know what the cost is going to be or something uh, like that. Price. Yeah. There has to be some kind of. But it's nice if there's some kind of randomness to it or some uncertainty in what you're doing, some risk. Because yeah. you're meddling with forces that other people can't. So there's, that's mm. got to come at some sort of price, one way or the other. And uh, typically in books, they say things like, oh, well, you know, you spend all your time in your tower researching your library. Well, no, no, I don't. I'm always down no. the dungeon. Like, when's this like researching time that you speak of that I don't do because I'm <laughs> clearly adventuring and camping out in the wilderness? No, you're you're right, mate. It's um the the point of magic is that you can break the games. So all magic is cheats, cheating. So you you get your core rules for whatever game it is, and then magic gives you loads of ways to bend and break and spindle those rules. Otherwise, it's not magic. So you know, dustbins can't really float unless you cast some kind of magic spell and then all of a sudden they can so that's cheating so to be able to cheat you should have a cost i mean i think interestingly in D, there is no cost to magic not really no, there's an element of resource management how much you can use, isn't there? Mm, yeah there's a slight bit of resource management and i guess you could argue that you're picking a character that will have fewer hit points than a barbarian and a barbarian is the only character class in modern D that doesn't have some magic even the fighters and thieves do mm-hmm. so um, so I suppose it's not completely free, but it may as well be. Um, and just you know, if time is the only is the only price, then in a role playing game where with the click of a finger you can go forward a week in time, it's not really a cost, is it? <laughs> there are interesting examples throughout game law that you and I will know of what games have decided to set the price at. So in in my field of fantasy role playing game, you will sometimes see the price be uh, your your uh, your health so yeah. the wizard will have to exchange blood and that might be represented in hit points or wounds or injuries or someone else's blood sacrificial magic and it may come at that kind of cost so you know you can do what you want but be careful because if you push yourself too far you may find yourself on the brink of exhaustion or death or worse uh, and those are kind of interesting people try to balance the power of magic by making you physically weaker as a result Mm. Yes, there was one of the D20 games. It was Slain, I want to say it's a Schlange, something. I don't know how you actually pronounce the name, but the, the 2000 AD comic Slain, as that's Slain. most people yeah. in Britain know it. Like uh, sort of Celtic times, that kind of Boudicca, that kind of stuff. Uh, but that had magic in that, and typically that involved sacrifice. So that, that, that was interesting then playing a one shot of it uh, with a good friend Bez, who wanted to do things, but like quite powerful things, which are quite showy, which for the setting isn't something that happens a lot. But he was quite happy to like gouge out his own eye and hack off a hand at one point with his <laughs> his druid sickle and stuff to make these things happen. Because that's something that you can do in a one-shot and not feel too much about it, even though it was quite shocking to the players around the table and, and me, and made for good drama. You do kind of wonder how that would manifest in a campaign because you can't keep doing that or you've quickly run out of things you got off or poke out mm. uh, and then that means that you know of all this cool stuff you could do if you wanted to but the cost's too high so then you're sort of playing a campaign with someone that you know driving a Ferrari to the shops you know it can go really fast but you can only do that once before you get pulled over so you just keep going around the estate at 25 miles an hour which then feels <laughs> like you're not getting the best out of it almost so that's one interesting concept from it there's things like Warhammer as well, aren't there, where you could you could risk getting corruption 
yes. and stuff like that as you're exposed to the, the dark forces of the warp and things or you might miscast uh, and I like that kind of um, we can try and get extra energy or extra power or do the cool things uh, uh, but it's not guaranteed that you're going to lose an iron hand but it might you might get dragged off into the warping never seen again and I like that element of trying to redline it in games where you feel like you want to really want to push it when you can if you know what I mean yeah yeah, yeah, so yeah. There's, a, there's a variety of games that are a little bit like that where you, uh, Savage Worlds for example in the Deadlands setting you get a number of power points to use your spells if you're a huckster but you can also deal with the devil where you sort of make a, a gamble against the Manitous to try and get some of their power and it might all go horribly wrong but you know there's certain times in game where you want to redline it and that feels like an interesting that makes magic interesting because you're then making a choice to do something risky in game mm. and everyone knows you're doing something risky so they're all going to check to see what cards you flopped or what dice you rolled or that kind of thing people in setting as well can be wary of you or the other characters might be because of what you can do but there's always that hangover that it will cost you at some point there's like walking in death's shadow all the time i think that makes for really cool role playing yeah i do too we've got these little strange randomizers haven't we? these little polyhedrals littering the table um, and I like to see them getting used when magic is on the table because I like that kind of quixotic, uh, slightly random chaos element to magic, literally chaos in the case of Warhammer. Um, I like it in Dungeon Crawl Classics that every spell has quite an extensive table of potential results. And some of them are quite whimsical and some of them are some of them are even comedic, but, but often to get the most power, you really are going to be crippling your character and that's quite fun to know that that's a possibility because then when you roll the dice you never quite know what you're going to get i've always enjoyed those elements of dnd magic where you know like the the deck of many things is is infinitely good fun because you 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 have the choice do you want to pull a card or don't you of course i want to pull a card i'm here to play dnd why would, I, why would i get a magic item and not do that so you want to pull the card and you don't know what it's going to be for wheel or woe and I, those are way more interesting to me than like a magic item like a wand of magic missiles which might as well have a button on it like a remote control it's got a certain <laughs> amount of charges and it refills when it does it so you know your standard D&D magic has very little randomness in it at all It mm. might you might have to roll to attack you might have to have your opponent roll to save which I know drives some people up the wall um, just the fact that that happens but that's about it that's about the extent of the what's going to happen when I cast this spell otherwise you could read the legal boilerplate off the card because you know what's going to happen yeah and that kind of reliable magic that feels like a shame yeah that feels, like feels a shame. too safe i think if you if you want reliability you will play a warrior and you will have a sword and some plate mail and a shield and, and you know even with fumbles or whatever else is folded into your game system you kind of know what you're going to get solid and and reliable and, and that might be just more about my character that I, that I find those characters appealing but if, if I if I'm going to go down magic I kind of want it to be Warhammer style where something might leap out of a pocket dimension and try and gnaw off my foot while I'm casting <laughs> yeah we're having fun at the minute in um, Wrath and Glory with um, a Sankran Psyker that we've got and frequently it seems I don't know whether it's just the way Neil's playing the character or this is the system generally but Things keep happening every time the psyker does something. Mm. It's like all plants die within twenty feet or something, or you know, there's just odd things keep happening around him. So it's, but it makes it more interesting. If yeah. if he was just, you know, if he had, like you say, a wand of magic missiles that's got six charges, 
well that's just a revolver you know you're yeah. doing a set amount of damage and you get six shots then you have to reload it it's that is not nowhere near as much fun in, in my head anyway mm. corruption as a cost is interesting mate you brought it up i think it, it is one of the classic ones isn't it where you might start seeing insanity mechanics or your uh, wizard for want of a better term is going to start getting more and more otherworldly or distant from the reality that you're in um, those are, I, I think those are quite nice sort of uh, prices to pay go back to mage mage has a thing called paradox um, where you're, you're kind of like the universe is policing you all the time and it won't let you get away <laughs> with anything like well like making dustbins float it's going to have a quiet word with you about that um, and if you can get away with it you can so you have to be quite creative about trying to fool everyone around you into thinking it's a fairly natural effect but the downsides to all of that is that you can have your brain start getting eaten away and that that feeds into like the classic literary tropes doesn't it of like there's mm. there's one wizard in the party and they're always slightly odd you know yeah they, they might just always be barefoot or like you know have twigs in their pockets i, I kind of like that that uh, that classic trope of the the slightly curious person who's got other things on their mind apart from like you know where the next meal is coming from they're, they're thinking of higher or more lateral things it's an interesting character concept yeah definitely and i think if you think about um some of the real nerds if i can use that word in computer science or something always seem to be just slightly odd but they also turn out to be a genius and invent whole new things that people have never even thought of before yeah that feels like the sort of person who will be coming up with new cool magic stuff all the time but they're not necessarily someone you want to sit next to in the pub and have a drink with because they're just they're not on the normal person vanilla layer they they their minds expanded beyond that and beyond just following to normal tropes and, and following conforming to normal societal rules hmm. they're just thinking in a different plane and I, I think that it opens up opportunities then as well for the world to react differently so the more weird uh your wizard or for want of a better word is getting the rest of the party might accept it because you're hanging around with each other all the time and slow changes over a long period of time don't get noticed too much mm. but when you go to like a normal village people might react to that there might, or there might be a witch hunter or whatever it might be but there's there's a way there for the game world to react back if you're getting to a certain level of idiosyncrasy or corruption or whatever it might be i think that's that just feeds into more cool role-playing opportunities and if that's happening to your PCs, it also opens up the gates for that to be happening to NPCs as well. So, mm. somebody might appear to be a villain when you're first given your mission or quest. It might just be that they're on the road to solving world hunger through magic, but they're having to go to some very strange places to make that work and yeah. they've lost touch with reality. And they're not actually a villain per se, but the effects they're having on the local community might mean that you've been called in because of an evil wizard who lives in the mountain, for example. Yeah, so that, that's a, a, another form of the price of magic, isn't it? Is that the setting um, will police you or punish you for your magic-using abilities. So in the Warhammer world, uh, whether it be 40k or fantasy, uh, the, the premise is that uh, your magic comes from a very bad place indeed, um, and uh, you have to be sanctioned in order to control it because it's pure chaos. And, um, and society really doesn't like magic really doesn't like it. it needs it but doesn't like it uh to the extent that you might have witch hunters on your tail you might be run out of the village you won't get lodging anywhere the common folk really do look at you with more than suspicion they'll actually try and actively murder you you know if you're just one trying to wander around with like a robes covered in stars and a moon is not going to get you very far in warhammer and there's plenty of worlds like that even mage does that with paradox like i say 
but there's plenty of other worlds or settings where magic is absolutely an option and it, and it is especially for PCs in fact you know, probably is why you're a PC because you're a magician of some kind but the world is actively wants to stamp you out or ostracize you or categorize you or something like that I love those settings I think they're really neat it's it's a price I feel that I, th I see people get away with not paying quite mm. a lot of the time I, it's a real shame to not to not double down on that and to not punish the player that's not what you want to do but make the PC's lives very very interesting you know that classic thing about like you go into the village and you know if you can make I keep going back to like levitating dustbins for some reason I'll pick a new analogy <laughs> in a minute but let's say you can make a house cat talk that is a really big deal in a Warhammer setting you don't you don't always see that you don't always see that followed up on by the GMs and I, I think I know why, because it's a bit of a slippery slope and you'll end up just throwing the party in prison and that's the end of the game, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> or burning them at the stake. And nobody wants to like press the end button on the campaign. But, the, the, but there's a campaign in that, isn't there? There's a campaign in chasing down rogue wizards, whether you're, mm. you're the chasers or the chasees in that. And you know, having a, having a wizard or, or a party of wizards in that kind of setting could be enormous fun if you lean into what magic means rather than just having magic be something as as important as 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 the thieves lock picks you know yeah. which, which nobody really cares where they come from <laughs> yes yeah there's all kinds of things that spring off that isn't there you could um you could go a little bit wild west over it and if you're known as a a particularly decent magician or what have you there might be other magicians come gunning for you mm. because you've got some esoteric knowledge that they don't have they're trying to come and get you so they can steal your knowledge for example yeah. or it could be that um, magicians can do certain things like create food and water or cure disease because we can roll clerics into that kind of thing and you might be sparse see the rest of the party might be minders for the person who can do the magic and that magic's in demand throughout the land mm -hmm. for common people because uh, I think the standard trope for certainly D&D &D and things like that is you're all going down a dungeon to defeat liches or whatever else might happen but if you look at the list of spells or can think of their application there's tons of things that like normal people would really kill for if they could have someone cure all the disease in their village for example so there's definite opportunities there for just initially mundane seeming missions I guess but they could turn into the Magnificent Seven or Seven Samurai that kind of feeling where there's just you know down and outs but a magician could swing things for a village that's been constantly harassed by bandits or orcs or dragons or whatever it might be yeah tons of yeah. opportunities yeah there is i think when you when you look at um when you look at your magic in your game in your setting especially it should be spinning scenarios of it in a fantasy game you should be spinning scenarios that have always got a magical element i think if there's magic in the game why wouldn't you use it otherwise it just runs alongside your game and that's i think magic is more central to fantasy settings um and to be fair to D&D &D, it depends on what setting we're talking about in the vanilla one as I've already said I think it is a bit vanilla because it's in a vanilla setting but when you branch out into things like Dark Sun where magic got its own treatment there um, magic became infinitely more exciting when it started like having to suck life force in order to use it and hmm. not only do the plants within 20 feet of you die but the whole place is now a massive desert because all the magic juice has been sucked out of the marrow of the world that's good times um, and you go to other extremes like with it with their with their other settings like Eberron a more modern setting where magic powers the world it's like the industry the electricity the the mechanics behind the world is everything's got a little bit of magic juice flowing through it 
and the greengrocer will have access to magic as well as the archmage in the ivory tower. Um, so turning that dial up, down, sideways with magic really, really does affect even the most ordinary of Fantasyland campaigns. Mm. Um, but I wonder, I wonder, guys, if you've got examples outside of fantasy where magic has got like a central part to play in the setting, or just an odd or or a different way of dealing with it. We've, we've mentioned mage, which is, I guess, kind of an obvious go-to, but. Mm. I'm thinking of other games out there that employ magic, not in the traditional fantasy sense, with people wandering around with wizards' hats on. Far from it. Um, but but where where does the magic come from outside of of the big granddaddy of gaming, mate? So you can look at things like uh, Numenera, the Monty Cook setting, which is arguably is it magic? Is it science fiction? It's one of those. It could be either, maybe both. But it's uh, it's set in the ninth age, I think it is. So they've been or there have been a number of other ages anyway and now there's just lots of things lying around they call them ciphers in the game but they can do weird and wonderful things and they're just kind of one use so you might find something like oh I've got this uh, uh, wonderful silver staff that allows me to summon lightning or something which could be seen as magic but that might just be something like conducting rod of super science that you've now discovered in the desert from a previous age kind of thing but you kind of use it once and then it's done it runs out of its power but the game runs on you constantly finding ciphers and you can only hold sort of like two or three depending on your character uh, at a time so you're encouraged to use them all the time to then find more and they'll all have a different effect so that's that provides a really i mean sometimes as a player you feel a little, little bit like i like that one i wanted to keep it <laughs> that, yeah. that, that was good that allows me to make cats talk and floating dustbins so why can't i keep that one but the the plus side is that you're constantly finding new things to do or having to think about I've now got a ball bearing that levitates at five feet off the ground. What am I going to use that for? Yeah. But it's going to do that for 24 hours, so I've got something I can do with it if I can think of a way that I might employ that. And because all the characters get a bunch of them and you keep cycling them, it means that everyone's engaged with the magic in inverted cameras of the world and constantly thinking of cool things to do with weird and wonderful objects that you've come across on your travels. So I think that's a, that's a decent way of employing it. And the characters within the game... There's not really a magician, but there's, there's like, they call them a jack and a glaive and various other weird names. But you've all got powers of some sorts, but they can appear magical or scientific, arguably, of super science or something, whatever. How you dress, dress up how you want, but although some characters are uh, particularly designed towards fighting things, you've still got sort of powers you can use. So I like the Numenera treatment of things that everything's a little bit magical and weird and different. And there's also apart from having your standard abilities which are more permanent or reliable if you will you've also got these ciphers that then are in that element of uh, weird and wonderful randomness that happens constantly through every session mm. yeah yeah that's that's an interesting game the treatment of, of magic items as not being um, necessarily artifacts but just disposable laying around all over the place slightly balked you know, because they've gone past their sell-by date, and, mm -hmm. and things can happen with them. See that happen a little bit in uh, post-apocalyptic games, which I guess Numenera is a type of post-apocalyptic game. Sure. Um, where where like ancient technology, like a Zippo lighter, could be seen as like a wand of fire, couldn't it? Yeah. You know, so that's an interesting take on magic, which gets you into the you know sufficiently advanced technology quote. Um, <laughs> a, a game that I like for its magic. Uh, is um, is a game called Over the Edge, which we've spoken about a few times before. 
uh, over the edge is the game of sort of global conspiracies and 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 just out and out weirdness and William Burroughs type stuff. Um, written by Jonathan Tweet, he comes up with the best magics, and uh, that's that's a really interesting system because it's quite loosey goosey about magic because you, you get to define your own magic, not just from an effects point of view, like you know range and heat and amount of damage done, but just like your entire philosophy really uh, of like where it comes from. And it almost doesn't matter mechanically, but it completely matters in the way that you pitch things. And and you get to decide what that is, and you get to try and impose your reality on what's around you, sort of working your will. Again, there's so many overlaps with games like Mage, because Mage is like the font of a lot of different magical philosophies all wedged into one thing. What I like about Over the Edge is that nobody can ever tell you you're wrong. Um, and in fact, frequently, you will come into into conflict with other people who, who it can't possibly you can't possibly exist alongside them and they can't possibly exist alongside you but you do quite quite merrily so it's you know it's a relatively short game that manages to pull off just about anything magical mm. and at the same time doesn't completely go around stomping on everybody else's fun because <laughs> that, that that can be an issue in the games where you know being some kind of magic person is um is you are playing a different game to the other people at the table and yeah. often because you're playing the magic person you get bigger everything <laughs> you know <laughs> more dice more numbers for everything so i quite like that over the edge doesn't necessarily do that it doesn't necessarily make you more powerful it's just another way of bringing interest to the game and it and it kind of doesn't exclude anything it's very open it's, it's certainly worth a look for loads of different reasons and the, the new edition got kickstarted a couple of years back didn't it and there's uh, mm. Yeah, it's on the shelf, and it's it goes into a little category of games that I have for that. And Unknown Armies would be another example. Mod, modern day stuff. I'm sure you you could talk about that with more authority than I can, guys. But um, but it, but there's there's all kinds of stuff where it's not even the occult. I think we both played in the film back in the day, which was based on the real occult in inverted commas. <laughs> but but it is. But there is some gameable magic that you could play modern day scenarios. Which is quite fun. There's a few mm. games for that now, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. We're due to start an online is quite soon. Actually, we've, we've done a session zero. Yes, that's got. I've not fully read the new edition rules, but it's got that mix of there are some rote spells that you can use, uh, which vary by what uh, sort of path your adept is taking, and then there's sort of rituals you can make up yourself that you kind of have to work out how to do it, and you come up with your own ritual and then sort of codify it through trial and error and get it to work eventually and go, alright, good, I've got a new spell now, I've worked out how to do that, which feels satisfying in-game. But um, yeah, each adept's got its own sort of path that they're following, so I've picked, for example, an Entropomancer, which is all about risk and luck. So to get charges so that I, that I can do things, I need to take risks at, at cost, so you know, gamble a significant amount of money, or step in front of a speeding car, or do like just other stupid things you wouldn't normally do that are just... A, a, unacceptable risk for right-minded people but that charges up my character then to be able to do to get luck to bend their way and there's dipsomancers who have to get drunk first so anything else they're trying to do they're obviously rubbish at because they're drunk but it charges them up to use their magics for their kind of thing they want to do as well so that's that's a, an interesting one that allows you to front load the cost if you will so you, you sort of take the hit first and then be able to do cool things afterwards, which is a nice way of doing it. It's almost like having your hangover now so you can get drunk tomorrow, which would be a much better way of doing it <laughs> if you could pay in advance <laughs> and then work out how much you wanted to pay first. Like, <laughs> how yeah. drunk am I allowed to get tomorrow kind of thing. 
I don't, nobody would do it that way around, would they? I'm not sure I would. No, I think I think I would. <laughs> I'd like to get the pen out of the way first, and then I could enjoy myself. That'd be much better. I'm more of an, an entropic drinker, though. It's all risk taking for me because I can have too much to drink, and just I'm always assuming that I'll be fine the next day. Sometimes I am, and sometimes I'm not. Depends how the dice come up. It's a bit of a gamble. A little bit like magic. <laughs> I do like that Unanami's approach of having some rot stuff and then uh, an, a way of creating your own magic as well. I think that's mm. because we've discussed that we like the idea of ingredients and being able to cook our own meals, so to speak. Yeah. But I know for a lot of other players, they don't want to have that mental strain of working it all out every time. They just want to be able to cast a fireball occasionally. Or they want to you know, they want to know what the limits of their power are and have it codified. So mm. that kind of halfway house of having some things to give you the examples of the sort of things you can do and you can just lean into them if that's what you, all you want to do. But to the flexibility to allow more creative players to kind of go a bit hog wild with it. I think that's a good balance. Yeah, I think so. There's there's a few games that uh, that I've played over the last couple of years that that try to strike that balance between pure narrative and pure mechanic. Um, I, I often think of Blades in the Dark and those kind of forged in the dark games where there isn't really they don't have a huge amount to say about casting spells per se. You could pick a character class that's clearly got like you know links to the supernatural and magic and it's it's obviously there. They could talk to ghosts. They may even be a ghost, that kind of thing. But they don't have a spell list on their character sheet at all. Um, and yet, the I guess the mechanics of the game just kind of fold into whatever it is you try and do, whether you try and talk your way past something, stab your way past something, or charm your way past something, or cast a spell your way past something. You can still be offered a devil's bargain. And it's up to the table to sort of dress it up what your action was. So you put the trappings on it. Are you mm-hmm. trying to do this with magic? Well, what does that look like? How does it manifest? It's a lot of question and answer type stuff in those sort of games sometimes, isn't there? I yeah. guess until you play for long enough that you start building up a bit of a shorthand. You might even name the thing that you do. And then again, like I was saying before, you build up some case law. Yeah, yeah. And certainly Blades in the Dark and things like A Gun, which I finished playing recently. They're all more narrative. And I think the thing with them as well, that you sort of alluded to it a bit there when you are talking about... Um, magicians going off on their own path and it perhaps being a bit the net runner problem where somebody runs in the nets and everybody else has to watch for a little while mm. well we've talked about making magicians special what you don't want to happen is they're the special one and everybody else seems less special as a result yeah. you kind of want everybody else to have a fair bite of the cherry for their specialism so things like a and blaze and all the rest of them are good because you get to do a thing in a certain style but whether you're uh, like a rooftop cat burglar or whether you're a whisper who speaks to ghosts you're both equally able to do stuff and come up with your own ideas about how that looks and put your own dressing on it and equally powerful and it feels quite balanced and that kind of thing mm-hmm. so in other games that can become a little bit more of a challenge um, to sort of like not to knock D&D again but to go back to that old old problem that you used to have where magicians were rubbish at first and second third level arguably and by you know 15th level they were just blowing away you might as well not have fighters or anything else there because mm-hmm. mages were just so powerful so uh, I think there is a balancing game to be struck between keeping magic interesting and without having to have a separate subclass of magic user that just works differently than all the other characters do. Yeah, yeah. the, the D&D issue has always been about balancing magic using classes. And they used to do it by making you shite at first level and brilliant at, at 20th. Uh, but that's just, you know, that just doesn't work. If we're playing a one-shot, we're, we're eighth level. Then, you know, your balancing thing doesn't work anymore. It's... It's it's just it's always been weird, and they've been I think they've been hobbled by it 
for a very long time that linear fighter quadratic wizard thing because it's not even the fighters who might as well stay at home because if you can summon Tyrannosaurus Rexes out of your <laughs> bum you don't need a fighter but worse than that is you've got your master thief who's been working on this bank vault for like hours and hours and hours and sweat running down their forehead going nearly there nearly there and some first level wizard saunters up behind him and goes oh let me help you there I'll just cast a knock spell and it's just it's just undone that that master thief spotlight time you know yeah so it doesn't take long before there's no point in any other characters showing up and it and it is a genuine thing it's a genuine thing even even today i mean we're in our D campaign we are eighth level at the moment the one that i run every week with my friends and um we have a we have a wizard in the power run played by our good friend matt steamforge matt and uh his eighth level wizard can just do stuff in matt's more than capable hands as well which will just have everybody else around giving like polite golf claps and then, <laughs> <laughs> because it might as well be stand back I've got this hold my hold my potion I'll be back in a minute <laughs> luckily it's get, it's okay but I don't think we can go many more levels before we just have to like and that be the first one to want to do it as well before we have to go oh, you know, should, should we do something else or reset or something or retcon because it's this is this is becoming a bit one man show here and and um, and everybody knows it so mm. it, that that's an issue but again that comes from that vanity and magic thing that we opened the show with mate I don't know of many other games where the wizard uh, as our shorthand for magic using character is that much of a problem across the span of a game they they, they seem to readily fold into most other games yeah. in fact in Warhammer it's, it's a poor choice all round isn't it <laughs> <laughs> it's just like every other character class <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you pick a wizard in war, people like, are you sure? Because yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, I want to do it. Okay, then, because there will yeah, be yeah. a cost to it. But yeah, but you don't sign up for the power, do you? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not coming your way. <laughs> I suppose that the other like old classic game you mentioned was Reinquest, which yes, I've not read the new edition. To be fair, but that always sort of solved the problem of what do you do about magic users by making everybody a magic mm. user to an extent. So all characters had access to spirit magic and then rune magic as it was called or divine magic came later which if you were particularly pious to a particular cult or god you got like super magic that was better than spirit magic but everyone had access to it uh, so that that is another approach mm. but the the interesting bits about it because the spells are quite rote again so if you have blade sharp it makes you have a better chance to hit and do a little bit more damage and it does that reliably depending on how many points you spend on it but the interesting bit I found was um, kind of the narrative elements where if you wanted to learn a new spell you did that by fighting a spirit and stealing the magic off it Yeah. so if you're, a, if you're part of a cult you might have to go to the temple of Isseries or wherever and the priest would summon up a spirit for you and then you have to fight it in spirit combat to win and then you would learn a new spell by wrenching it off the spirit and if you lost, well tough you know, come back next adventure and you've earned some more money and you can you know, pay the priest to summon a spirit again and you can try once more and then you might learn something that, that that was an interesting way of having some way of learning spells because that's another aspect that comes up in games is you might only have limits to what's in your spellbook or grimoire and how do you learn new ones or you need to find someone it's like do I and then you know you, you have to make a mission out of it to find someone who might teach you a spell and then he wants something else so you're on a different quest it's like can I just have the stuff yeah. and there's a little bit of trade off there between depends on the style of, of group you're with and all the rest of it of course but th there is an argument about do you just get new spells or do you have to? Is there a cost in terms of time and effort and money that you have to spend in game to be able to learn them to then 
be allowed to use your new powers you get as opposed to other character classes which might just get free stuff for leveling up or whatever sure. it is in the game yeah sure if you, if you don't have to pay the cost then it's not really a cost is it no and, um, and that tends to be anyway which which then you know th- that opens opens up the discussion mate from RuneQuest where your magic comes from various sources I suppose but mostly from it's a uh, from its uh, polytheistic kind of setting is that whole concept of divine magic because I think we've been thinking about like you know the Paul Daniels kind of magic where <laughs> things are pulled out of hats and there might be a glamorous assistant on stage arcane style stuff but of course there's the other kind of the flip side to that coin is is prayers and rituals and stuff that's given to you from uh, another power I mean you could get all metaphysical about this. I don't think it's entirely necessary. I guess I'm. What I'm saying here is, does it matter that uh, that your magic comes from some god or goddess, or whether it came from a book, or whether it came from like some kind of uh, physical uh, physical exercise program that you've indulged in? Does the source of the magic matter in settings? That's often a really big chapter. It's often a really big question. I wonder how much of it comes out in play. What, what, do you, what do you think about source of power, guys? It doesn't matter per se where it comes from, I think, but from a story and game point of view, yeah, it does. It's, it, it makes it cool and more interesting. Uh, it's that cost thing or some limitation again where you might have to follow certain strictures for your god to be able to cast the magic, and if you don't, then you get censured in some way or your powers might be taken off you or that kind of thing. So that's quite interesting. To sort of quote RuneQuest again, there's you had sort of gifts and geezers you got um, for some of the gods, and you might be like, "Wear no armor on your legs," but um, now you get this cool spell, and that's it. But you're walking around dungeons like in your underpants, go from the waist down, <laughs> because you know, if as soon as you strap on any kind of greaves or anything, then your spells are going to go because your god's going to be angry with you, that kind of thing. So I, I like it as a, a mechanism and uh, for like getting people to play in a certain way by following a god or whatever. It just needs to be interesting, doesn't it? Again, it's yeah, that, that it old does. caveat because uh, it's too easy to follow into the the paladin. I'm only going to do good things. Uh, I'm going to ambush someone. We have to not tell the paladin because he'll spoil it. Otherwise, that kind of mm-hmm. thing you can kind of fall into. So why not have you know whatever the god of wine or something as your particular god, and that's where your magic comes from. So you have to like sup on the grape to be able to get divine insights to get your power back or whatever it might be. You know, think of other things you could do. In the game to make it interesting, but yeah, I, I don't mind per se. That, in a way, it was kind of an excuse for some games, wasn't it? Was saying you have to go yes. and do your prayers to get your magic back, or you right. have to ask your god for power, and that feels a little bit. It's just another way of having fancy magic. I think I don't know. Yeah, it it does get you around the whole like having to go and find a scroll or get someone to teach it to yeah. you because like this god who you've never bothered naming and no one has ever heard speak or seen any of the <laughs> manifest ever has FedExed you some more power. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it, if it's untapped, it's rubbish, isn't it? But if it is tapped, it takes us, you know, to, to the, the, the other, the, the good extreme of it would be Unknown Armies, which you, you've already mentioned, where it totally matters what your source of power is. That's the game. Mm. <laughs> your source of power is the entire game. That's the question that gets answered over the course of a campaign. So just by zoning in on that that little thing that can be easily hand waved away in some campaigns, and and those games are still perfectly fun and perfectly playable. Um, there's like a role playing game for everything now, isn't there? But there's a, there's a role playing game for the way you cast a spell. There's a role playing game for like uh, for magical gods or 
spirits or, or or playing a living spell for goodness sake it's all there so that there's magic is kind of seeded around nearly everything it's mm. I, I i do think there's um there's there's still a, i see a lot of, of calls for like i want less magic in my games or low magic i see that sort of call more often than i see for for no magic at all obviously yeah. there are games you can play that have no magic at all but but i think people still want that in their games uh, i'm not sure where the tolerance lies it's obviously individual to people because D&D would make you think everybody wants to be flying around on Pegasi throwing lightning bolts at each other but I, I don't I don't feel that's necessarily what what the gaming public think I think they they prefer things down at the kind of Pendragon level perhaps maybe a bit higher than that yeah probably a little bit higher yeah. Pendragon you cast a spell and you have to go to sleep for 20 years oh it's definitely <laughs> higher than that <laughs> that is a cost we'll have to see we'll have to see how that develops there might be a magic book in the pipeline but that's how it used to work um, yes, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I find it odd when people say they want it low magic. I don't know whether they just mean they don't want people throwing lightning bolts about all the time in the street, which seems fair. They want like you know a, you'd be able to walk around town and it feels normal in inverted commas, like you bring a Game of Thrones set or something, mm. rather than everything's on tensors floating discs for no apparent reason because it's too much. Yeah, it's a bit of a balance. I think you have to decide at the table how how it all works, and if the players or our player has got access to some powerful magic then other people in the game world will have access to better magic than that and will be employing it in some way especially if you're working against them mm. you might have to realize that uh, scrying spells or teleportation and things like that also will start working against you yeah and i think that's how you can balance it out a little bit if you feel a player's got too much magic or is doing too many things we'll have a bigger badder wizard doing the same things or similar back or using the wrong magic sensibly, as uh, as we've discussed in other episodes about making your baddies be a bit more uh, clever about what they're doing. Sure, yeah, yeah. Baddies with magic is potentially another podcast because uh, villainous wizards is an absolute trope of the game, and um, yeah, I think I think that's something we can maybe come back to. I think I'd also like to circle back round to stuff like uh, items of power, magical artifacts things like that which we've been talking about people wiggling their fingers and maybe pointing a stick at someone haven't we largely mm. uh, but yeah magical items a massive draw for some folk and for others couldn't care less uh, but certainly many many pages and many gallons of ink have been spilled over the creation of magic items creation of stuff you know whether your whether your magic characters are laboratory hounds whether they want to whether you want have you ever written a spell in your game has, has your character ever ever done that? Ever created something that's gone into canon? Uh, I'd suggest that doesn't happen very often. Why not? I wonder why not. Yeah, we should do more of that. Yeah. Well, dear listeners, how they're in listening land, both of you. If you think you want to cover, or we want us to cover, more likely, uh, things like magical items or creating spells, or what the the villains do with their magic, or how the world looks and reacts to magic happening, uh, let us know. We can definitely talk for many more hours on a variety of subjects of which this is only one so do write in keep in touch tell us what you think are there any cool games with magic that we didn't mention obviously we need to get into earth dawn we're going to save that for another oh, time yeah yeah yeah. it speaks for itself <laughs> it, indeed <laughs> uh, but yes thanks for listening once again we're about time uh, thanks to our new patrons uh, thank you for anyone who likes or shares or sends a message or talks about things about the smart party because it does all help 
Indeed, we cast charm audience on a bi-weekly basis and we're glad you're there to fail your saves. <laughs> and or roll to hit. It depends on the spell. It depends. Who knows? <laughs> yes, thanks for listening, everyone. Do let us know. Uh, if you want more magic talk, we are available. So let us know and we will produce another episode for you. Until then, I'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.